Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Genesis 25, and we're going to talk about some bad deals today. Have you ever made a bad, raise your hand if you've ever made a bad deal, right? A lot of us have, right? We've made bad deals, unwise decisions or investments. I got a picture up here of an unwise decision or investment. This is the (laughs) PT Cruiser. Now, I'm not here to bag on anyone who bought one of these vehicles, but this genre of vehicle is the Kind of the, one of the firstborn children of the Daimler Chrysler Company. Now, this is really a perfect illustration for our church, right? Because we have Germans in our church uh, who love Mercedes, right? And we have Americans in our church who know Chrysler from way back when. Chrysler's been around. It's one of the big three. It's been around forever. But one day, Chry- uh, Mercedes, or Daimler, uh, Mercedes, yes, Daimler, same thing, bought, in 1998, bought Chrysler for 40 billion dollars and one of the firstborn children of this beautiful relationship was this (laughs) the pt cruiser definitely one of the most attractive vehicles ever made (laughs) now they bought it in 1998 for 40 billion but if you've lived in germany any amount of time or germans if you visited america you understand that while we have many things in common we are still two totally different cultures right and these cultures, these cultural differences, these way, the ideas of how cars should be made and, you know, blah, 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 structural, you know, or corporate structure led to the decline of the Chrysler, Daimler Chrysler Company over the next nine years. And after nine years, it was sold in 2007 for $6 billion, a $36 billion loss for Mercedes. Wow. Now, I have to think that hits them where they live a little bit, right? I mean, you know, a million or so are here, they're a big deal. But $34 billion lost, that's a bad deal for Mercedes. And that is a horrible car, okay? (laughs) That was a bad, bad deal. Today we're going to look at a really bad deal between two brothers, Okay, so turn with me again. Genesis chapter 25, verse... We're going to start in 21, right? We're not going to go through all of 25 and 26. We're going to get the meat of it uh, by going through these verses. Of course, I encourage you to go through and read the story because in these narrative stories of the Old Testament, these true stories, the Lord speaks to us in different ways. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? Okay, let's just pause for a second. How many women have ever been pregnant and say, If this is supposed to be so great, why does this stink, right? Why does my hand up? I have no idea, (laughs) right? (laughs) But maybe some of you women have prayed this, right? If You know, like, what is going on with my body, right? I mean, what is going on? Here is Rebecca with twins. And she's like, if this is supposed to be so great, if this is supposed to be the Lord, what is happening to me? <laughs> I just think that's funny, right? Rebecca's just human. And so, 
She went to inquire of the Lord, which I think is a positive response when we're facing troubles and tribulations, even if you're going through pregnancy or you're dealing with a pregnant wife, either one. It's a good thing to pray. And verse 23 says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Verse 24, And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, all his body like a hairy cloak. This also made me laugh, and I, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't tell this joke. And so <laughs> they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother, I will in a minute. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, and so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So they got married at 40. 20 years later, they pray and they have a baby. A few things I want to touch on before we get into our first point. Number one is we might ask ourselves, why did Sarah have a problem conceiving and why is Isaac having a problem conceiving? And you think, like, we know when a man and woman um, get married and have relations, they get together, and they have babies, right? This is something very common. All of you, many of you have experienced this, right? Uh, you know, you've, you've uh, you know, lain together, and then you've, you've had a baby, right? Some of you are really good at it, right? You've had a lot of babies, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Don't get this weird, okay? But, you know, you've had, you have multiple children. You know this is natural. This is how it happens. But some of you have struggled in having a baby. Now, we, I think the part, the, the part of the world that finds having a baby easy takes it for granted and a little bit sometimes and, under, and, and fails to recognize that some couples have a very difficult time conceiving, right? And it's usually, I've, you know, I've seen it come through a lot of prayer and uh, trusting God. And I think here we see God is saying, look, this is, this is me keeping my promise to you. So it didn't come easy having a baby because they, he wanted them to pray and ask so that they would give him glory and know that this is from the Lord. This is me keeping my promise to Abraham, right? This baby. Now, church, this is, there's a small principle, pre-sermon principle here to be learned. That it is sometimes God's will to bless you in an area, but he is waiting for you to ask him. Right? This is important. This is important. Did, was this going to happen? Yes. Why? Because God promised that it would happen. But why did it take this long to happen? Because it took this long to ask. Church, there's something here, right? Explore it on your own, right? I mean, it, it, sometimes it just takes us asking and submitting because in the process of asking, it says so many things. Like, I can't do it on my own. It says, I need help. It's a, it's a cry for help. The Bible often refers to prayer as cries. And so perhaps your blessing or what you're eager for the Lord to give you, it might be out of the Lord's will and you're never going to get it. Or it may be that he's just waiting for you to ask, right? I'm just saying. So there's that. Uh, because Stace and I were wrestling with that this week. You know, why, why, is it, why are they having so much problem? And the second part is the, the part where Esau came out all hairy. And I was going to say their first baby was Hispanic. Okay? And that's because, now, wait, bear with me. I'm not racist. Bear with me. Uh, you know, I, I pastored in San Antonio for 17 years. I was privileged to see a lot of babies. And it just turns out 
Hispanic babies are just born with a ton of hair. And if you've ever seen a Hispanic baby born, it's just like they have a full, absolute full head of hair. And white babies just stay bald forever. I don't get it, okay? So that's, that was the joke. See, it wasn't even that funny. Right? It wasn't even that funny. But anyway... So God, here we see in, in our first reading that God is really working through impossible circumstances, right? I mean, 20 years being married and no baby, um, you might be like, you, you know, you might give up. You might just say, well, you know, it must just not be the Lord's will. And you might just give up. But God often works in impossible circumstances, and he demonstrates his glory in this. He demonstrates his power, his omnipotence. In his omnipresence, he, he demonstrates that he is the all-powerful, almighty God, and he is still on the throne through working through impossible circumstances. Now, these impossible circumstances sometimes work themselves out in, in somewhat natural ways, too, right? Now, having a baby, is, is, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, right? And praying and being barren and praying and then God answering, that's a big deal. But you just think, let's go fast forward to the New Testament for a second, all right? To the birth of Jesus. God just takes it to a whole nother level with Jesus, right? You talk about miraculous birth, all right? I mean, Jacob and, and uh, Esau and Isaac, the, these miraculous births pale in comparison to the, to the conception of Jesus in a virgin, right? I mean, that's God, that's God, right? This is Jesus we're talking about. And here's this promise, God working through impossible situations. The day we stop believing that God can do the impossible is the day he stops being God, really, in our lives, right? Either he is, a, either he is everything to us or he is nothing to us. Right? Either he can do the impossible or he's just one of us, right? He is God, and he works the impossible. And so church, I guess my encouragement here is don't give up. Don't stop praying for that unsaved loved one or your circumstance that you've been praying for for years and years and years or that prodigal son who's wandered or daughter who's wandered away from the faith. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. I want to tell you it's, it's not the Lord's will that one should be lost. So how, you're praying according to God's will. If you're struggling with infertility, the struggle is real. And, I, and we feel it. Those who have struggled with this, feel it. But it is God, God has told us that we are to go out into the world and be fruitful and multiply. So believing for a baby, believing and praying for that is totally within the realm of God's stated will, and you should be praying for that, not giving up on that. I can't, I'm not God. I can't explain why some, some people can hold hands and have a baby. You know, just, that's how they can see. I mean, just like every, I had this friend when I was in the military, he was 23 years old and had four kids. Like he just, basically he said, I just looked, I can just look at her and she gets pregnant. That's what he said. I mean, they just had babies one right after another. And uh, some people, it, it's like that. And some people really struggle. Number one, just let me say this too. If you're struggling with fertility, you are not alone. I know you can feel alone, especially in our, maybe in this church and in our community where we're always dedicating baby. You're not alone. You're not alone. And uh, you don't have pastors who are not sympathetic to this, okay? And there are people who are also sympathetic to this. And we love you 
And if you're struggling with this and you need somebody to talk to, please seek us out. We'd, we'd love to pray with you and just talk about it with you. And, uh, you know, it's a tough thing. But God works through impossible circumstances. He works through improbable people. You see Isaac and Rebecca, just two, two people living out on their own. There's nothing really special about them except that God made a promise. And God works through improbable people. And we really see that in, in Jacob. And we'll talk a lot more about that in just a moment and also next week. And then we talk about the, we see here in this story the providence of God. God making a way when there seems to be no way. The providence, the provision, just God our Father as our provider. Now, we look at, we look at Isaac and we look at Abraham and these guys were rich, man. They were Creflo Dollar rich. I mean, these people were rich. Nobody knows who Creflo Dollar is. I am so happy about that. <laughs> Seriously. But he's this really rich preacher who wants to buy a $60 million plane for Jesus and stuff. And, and uh, I mean, just rich, right? Like crazy rich. And, um, you know, we can equate blessing. You know, I think if we look at the story, we can say, okay, and in the Old Testament, we do see this, that, that blessing often does mean wealth, right? But God... That's, that's not true in the New Testament, right? That, that God's blessing automatically means wealth. That's for sure not true in the New Testament. And so, but we see the providence of God just sustain his people and provide for his people. I want to tell you that today you're free. And you're not free just because you're from a Western country that values freedom, whether it be Germany or America or another country in the West that values freedom, but you're free in Jesus Christ. And the person in North Korea is as free as you are. The, pers- the believer in Saudi Arabia is as free as you are. Now, this transcends our understanding of freedom, but it doesn't, it should not, it ought not to transcend our understanding of provision because it is in Jesus Christ that every single person can be free. In Jesus, not in politics, not in red and in blue. Tomorrow, isn't tomorrow election day or something? Tuesday, right? Regardless of how you vote, your freedom is not going to be guaranteed by anybody you vote for, period. Your freedom is only guaranteed in Jesus. And it's in Jesus that all the nations of the world find freedom, no matter where they find themselves. It's his unexplainable providence. So God works in unusual ways. Number two, God works through unworthy people. Let's skip down to verse 29 of chapter 25, and we're going to read the next six verses. Esau sells his birthright is probably the heading of most of your Bibles. And it says this in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew. Now, just really quick about Jacob and Esau. Esau was a guy who loved to be outside. He was outdoorsy. He was a hunter, right? He was this big, burly, hairy, you know, chest hair just sprouting out like broccoli out of his shirt, right? And just coming out. And just like he had this big man patch here, and he's out hunting and just being a stud and killing game. And Isaac loved Esau. 
because he, he, he hunted. He was like a man's man. He went out and he provided food for his family. He did what we picture men ought to do. And Jacob, the Bible tells us, dwelt in the tents. Now, this doesn't just mean that he, all he did is learn how to cook stew, right? And watch um, uh, Paula Dean, right? That's not what he did, right? But it does say that he dwelt in the tents. Perhaps he was a man of prayer, of great thinking, right? And understanding, and also, yeah, spent time cooking, right? But Esau also cooked game, right? He cooked the things that he brought home. Just, you know, we skip over that, so let me just get that in there. So once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted because he had an unfruitful hunt. How many of you hunt animals? Raise your hand. It's okay. Nobody, is anybody in PETA? Nobody's in PETA. Raise your hand again, real quick. So you hunt animals for game, for sport, and to eat, right? To eat. And so maybe you've gone out and hunted and you've, you've, you got up at like three in the morning and you covered yourself in deer urine and you went out and you, you had that rut thing. I don't know. I don't hunt stuff, right? But you're out there and you're, you've got that rut thing going, the sound, and you're, you're out there all day freezing your, you know what off and you're, you're eating canned beans. I don't know, whatever you do, just being a stud out there waiting to kill an animal, but you have a totally unfruitful time. Right? You're out there all day, you're lugging all the gear, all the stuff, and then you get home and you want to eat something, right? This is where Esau is, right? He gets home, he's had an unfruitful hunt, and he says to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Now, from this, this request, he gets the nickname Red, which was my nickname actually as a kid, but uh, because I have red hair. But this guy just asked for stew. It's like they were giving out nicknames a dime a dozen, right? I, I want red stew. Are you okay, red? <laughs> right? So weird. But anyway, from now on, his name is Edom, right? It wasn't bad enough that he was called Harry. Now he's called Red, right? Neither one, Esau, he got the short end of the stick. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. A little bit of a drama queen. Okay, what... What use of is a birthright to me, right? He's hungry. He's probably not about to die. What use is my birthright? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, unworthy people. Here we see Esau who was very sensually minded, right? Just like right now, immediate gratification, and he had little regard for the things of God. We see this in two ways. Number one, this illustration, but later on we'll read that he took two wives from the nations around him. Now we remember with Abraham and Isaac, they sent for, they sent for their wives, right? They were forbidden to take wives from the people that dwelt around them. But Esau purposely took two wives simultaneously, which scripture never endorses nor condones, right? Now, the Bible is a historical book, so we read of this, but this never means that God approves of it, okay? This is important distinction. Just because the Bible records something does not mean he approves of it, okay? And so the Bible records that Esau took two wives from among the people. See, that's a sensually minded man, right? He's here selling his birthright. And let's be honest. Do you really think Esau thought he was selling his birthright? Probably not. He probably, probably didn't think so. Probably like, this is never going to happen. My dad loves me. He loves me. I am his favorite. Remember, it is the father who bestows the blessing of birthright onto his child. And he was the favorite. And so he probably just said, whatever, 
yeah, give me some stew. That's all I want. But he showed, he showed the Lord something here, right? What he values, what he values. Church, important point for us, because we like to think of ourselves always as the hero of the story, but I find myself more like Esau, and maybe you do too, trading the things of God, trading the promises of God for immediate gratification, for something that's going to make me happy now, for something that's going to satisfy a lust or a desire that I have now. And I take that rather than the promise of God. And church, I want to tell you that Esau enjoyed that stew. He was hungry. And he, that, I'm sure that stew was delicious because it was a Paula Deen recipe. And it was good. It was full of butter. And he ate it and he was satisfied. But 24 hours later, it was vacated. It was gone. Gone. His body had taken what it needed and it was gone. And he's hungry again. Sin and immediate gratification is like that. We take it now. And then it, all we need is more later. All we need is more later, so that next thing. The promises of God, the things of God, they are to be valuable to us. We must elevate those things on our priority list. We must elevate the promises of God, our relationship with God. It must be of our utmost priority. He must be our utmost, period. And thus Esau despised his birthright. He, in that moment, said, I don't care about the promises of God. I don't care. I want this and I want it now. How much are we like Esau? Jacob, who was definitely a schemer, took advantage of his brother's physical and spiritual weakness. Now we see this also documented in, the, in Scripture, but not approved of. God had already promised Rebecca that this was going to be the way it is, right? That the younger was going to rule over the older. Makes you think, right? Did Rebecca ever tell Isaac? Now, I, I thought about this all week, actually. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like Mary, I think she pondered these things in her heart, right? Because if she would have told Isaac, Isaac would have known, right? But all the time, Esau's the favorite because he's the oldest, plus he's the most likely candidate. And so the whole time, he's the favorite, but Jacob was Rebecca's favorite. And he was a schemer. And during, his time of week, during this time of his brother's weakness, he took advantage of him. And he, he kind of tried to scheme this birthright from his brother. There's another lesson from Esau here we can learn that when, when we are weak and when we are tired, we are susceptible to sin, right? Our judgment is not what it ought to be. Church, I believe that God has not only forgiven us for sin, but he's called us to live above sin and that, that we can continue to eradicate sin from our lives. This process is called sanctification. And it's a term not often used anymore and talked about in church. But I want to tell you that we ought to be looking more like Christ every day. Will we ever be perfect in this life? No. But that is not an excuse for inactivity. And that is not an excuse to pursue righteousness, right? Or holiness, excuse me. Holiness and that eradicating of sin. 
And when we find ourselves in front of the computer at night, hungry and tired, we are, we are setting ourselves up for problems, right? If we are finding ourselves unsatisfied in our marriage and talking to people on Facebook that we probably ought not to be talking to, we are setting ourselves up for problems, right? When we are weak, when our weakest point is when Satan likes to pounce. Have you ever seen the Mutual of Omaha series where the, there's these animals and they're, there's like this herd of wildebeest? I mean, millions of them, man, going across the plains of Africa to the wet, where there's rain and where there's water. And as they're making this huge journey, who's always behind them? A pack of lions or a pack of hyenas or some animal looking to take out the strongest wildebeest, right? No, the weakest one the weakest one, and, and maybe even the infants or the children or the young of the, of the herd. That's who the enemy, and the Bible tells us that the enemy is like a what? A roaring lion, looking for moments of weakness, looking for our kids, looking for whom he may devour. God, even though Jacob did it by scheming, and I'm sure God would have made the way Otherwise, but Jacob, like so many in his family, took matters into his own hands and he schemes and God honors him anyway. And he does become the inherit, you know, basically we're talking about this more next week, but he, he wins. We know the story, most of us. But God, through grace, still works through broken lives. All right? Aren't you glad? I'm glad, Right? Every time we take communion, I am reminded of my own unworthiness of this great sacrifice Jesus made for me. I'm reminded that without him, I am still broken, I'm still lost, I'm still a sinner, and there's still no hope for me. But God works by grace through broken vessels. He makes them whole. Lastly, we talked about unusual ways using unworthy people, and we're going to talk about God's unchanging faithfulness because God renewed his promise to Isaac. I'm so glad God doesn't change his mind. Today when we celebrated communion, we celebrated God not changing his mind, right? How many of you would have went back on our contract with God if you were God, right? I mean, your contract with every. Every chance we get, it seems like, throughout biblical history, we take a chance to spit in his face or disrespect him in some way. I mean, he's not like us. He, he doesn't go back on his promise. And it's only because of his faithfulness that we're here today. It's only because of his faithfulness. He does not change his mind. He has not changed his mind about you. Aren't you glad that he has not changed his mind about you? His promises are not based on your obedience, but upon his faithfulness. There's this great old song called Blessed Assurance. And you won't hear me quote great old songs very often because I didn't become a Christian until I was 20-something years old. And that was like the vineyard time. Right? It was like, change my heart, oh God. That was like the old song, right? But there's an old hymn that says, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance. What is the blessed assurance? That he keeps his promises. And now think about this. If God keeps his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through all the patriarchs, through all history, until we get to Jesus, and then Jesus starts making some promises, right? 
Well, like what is the, one of the biggest New Testament promises that Jesus first says to us is the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is huge, right? Jesus says, I will send the paraclete or the helper. I must go to heaven so that the Holy Spirit may come and the Holy Spirit comes to empower the church. This is a promise from God and he always keeps his promises. Not that one of you be saved, not that the pastor be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, but that every single believer in the church be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise from God. What's another huge promise God makes? To come back. Church, we have forgotten that Jesus is coming back. That he has not forsaken us as orphans, but that he is coming back. And one day, coming soon, Jesus will meet us in the air. And he will call his church home. And he will come back for us. He will come back for us. And there will be some of us who will never know what it means to sleep or die. Because we will meet Jesus in the air. Aren't you glad for the promises of God that he is unchanging He is coming back based on His faithfulness. Church, God is willing and able to do what is seemingly impossible impossible in order to keep His promises. He will work through impossible means. As we get into the weeks and months ahead, we'll study stories, we'll look at We'll look at texts that just talk about awesome wonders of God, parting the Red Sea, delivering his nation, the nation of Israel, out of the hands of Pharaoh through the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the coming into the promised land, sending the 12 spies. It's going to be awesome. And in every single one, we we can look at these stories as anecdotal moments of of history, or some of you may even consider them fiction. I want to tell you they are not. And they are every bit as relevant today as the day they were written. But God works through the impossible to keep his promises. And God honors his promises based on his character. Again, God is not in love with a future version of you. We get this really twisted. Our obedience comes as an act of love towards God, not in order to earn God's favor. He already loves you. He loves you. You might not love him back, right? But he loves you. He's decided about you. He's made up his mind. He's made up his mind about you. He loves you. So many of us go through this Christian life trying to earn God's favor. We're still caught up in indulgences. From If you don't know what these are, this is what drove Martin Luther to write his thesis and rebel against the Catholic Church is this idea that, that we can earn favors from God by either by sacrifice or financial gifts or whatever. We're still caught up in this. And this is kind of the default of the human heart. We think we must earn it, right? But it's by grace we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Never forget that. In conclusion, I just want to reemphasize it he will not change his mind about you. He's already picked you, he's already decided on you, and he will not change his mind about you. That's good news, church. That's really, really good news. We can count on the promises of God. God even kept his promise to Ishmael. 
You know, we look at Ishmael and people think, well, is Ishmael the, the father? Isn't he the father of the Muslims? Well, Ishmael, we know, was sent off into the Arab Peninsula. But to say he's the father of the Muslims is a little incorrect. You know, there are more Muslims in Indonesia than there are people in the Arab world. There are more Muslims in Indonesia alone than there are people in the Arab world. So is he the father of all Muslims? No. Is he the father is he the father of the Arab people? Yes. And, and Ishmael had 12 sons. If you read it through the text today, you're going to read, a, you know, if you study it a little further, you're going to read about God's faithfulness to, to Hagar. He made a promise to her, right, that, that Ishmael would father nations. And we immediately think Muslims when we think of this. But I just want you to, I want you to be reminded that Ishmael is our cousin, right? Ishmael we're, we're kin to Ishmael. And Ishmael, after he buried Abraham, he came together, buried Abraham, right? Then he died, and he also is given the same explanation that is of his death that Abraham has. He was gathered to his people. The exact same thing it says about Abraham. He was gathered to his people. Both of them. So we can infer from this that Ishmael also served God. Right? And he was gathered to his people. I know it seems weird. And most Muslims will point to Ishmael as maybe even their spiritual father, especially the Arab Peninsula. But Ishmael was gathered, read the text, exactly to his people, exactly like Abraham. That's interesting. Right? It's interesting. And so, anyway, it, I just say that to illustrate God always keeps his promises. We don't. Right? Because the descendants of Ishmael definitely didn't keep their promise, right? They definitely didn't. But God always keeps his promises. That's, that's amazing. We can bank on that. And, and we can't hardly get our mind wrapped around that because we are horrible at keeping promises. And we are horrible at entering into covenant relationship. But God is awesome at it. He is awesome at it. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.